Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you are a Alabama fan and full of fleshly, worldly joy this morning, this sermon is for you, okay? If you're a Georgia fan and you have no joy, this sermon is for you. So just want to be clear. Last week, Monty talked about hope, and we're going to talk about joy because here's the deal with joy. Joy is the fruit of hope. Hope produces joy, and so we want to make that clear. So we light our first candle, sorry, wrong one, of hope. And our second one is already lit. How about that? Of joy. So turn with me to Luke 2 this morning, if you would, and we'll get started. Now, I want to ask you a question. If we were not talking about joy, and I came to you or someone came to you and said, what is one of, if not the most repeated command in the Bible, what might you say? Just think about it. As I study this topic of joy, I think it's joy. <laughs> now, God's word says it in a lot of different ways. It says, praise the Lord, rejoice, enjoy, give thanks. There's a lot of synonyms, and there's a lot of ways to say about joy. But I want you to let that sink in. More than anything else, God is calling his people to taste and experience real and satisfying joy. Now, in saying that, I want to be clear. I am not diminishing in any way, form, or fashion the great suffering that many of you have experienced or will experience, or the sorrow that can make you feel like you are drowning, or the fear that leaves you nearly paralyzed at times. The real reality is God says a whole lot about those things, about sorrow and grief and pain and betrayal, failure and fear and horror and wretched sin, both yours and other people's towards you. But his dominant theme is joy. God wants his people to know the kind of hope that has transforming power to produce joy in us despite all that surrounds us, all the pain that surrounds us. This is not, just to be clear, fairy tale Christianity. This is not nirvana Christianity. This is Christianity, period. This is what Christianity is. Matter of fact, joyless Christianity is dangerous. A key sign of spiritual danger is for those who lose their joy. Recently, I was meeting with a man who has lost his joy. He's exhausted. Life has been hard, and he is in a dangerous place. If you don't believe me, listen to Paul in Philippians 3.1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you, or it is good for you. This illustration I came across or thought about as I was doing this and has to do with coal miners and canaries. Now, I think the vast majority of you would know why a canary would be in a coal mine, because a coal mine has incredible danger of the air being, uh, it's carbon monoxide and methane, I believe, and it can poison you and it can kill you. And so they learned a very low-tech and effective way to discern how the 
quality or the safeness of the air and that it was to bring a canary in the coal mine. And as they knew, as long as the canaries were singing, they were safe. I think joy tells us this. Christian joy is like that yellow bird singing. Because when your heart stops singing, you're in a dangerous place. The danger of not growing and maturing. The danger in becoming cynical, bitter, ineffective in God's kingdom work. There's a great danger of falling into grievous sins, a danger of believing that God is not good, he is not for me, and I cannot trust him. A danger of thinking, and I'm thinking of my own life, I have been there where there's been pain of the soul concerning those that I love, and I have gone to this place where I have prophesied This is the way it's going to be with them for the rest of their lives. And I have lost hope. And when I lost hope, I lost joy. There's so much more I could say to that. This summer, while on sabbatical, uh, most of you know I had the big picture theme of finishing strong. And one of the reasons I wanted to finish strong, to be truthful, to give you some more detail, is I, the thing that I, one of the things I fear the most is to end up an old and bitter and joyless and cynical old man. I have seen men who I've respected, who were Christ followers, better men than me, end up in those places. And I think the reason we can end up there is that you and I are hardwired to root our happiness or joy in the circumstances around us. It comes so naturally to us that our mood is somehow determined by the up and down roller coaster of life's ever changing circumstances. I think we do it at age eight. I think we do it nationally at 58. And I think we'll do it If we live to be 108, it's just the way we are bent. So this battle to fight for joy, Christian joy, or as we see this morning, great joy is a battle that must be won every single morning when we wake up until we don't wake up anymore, until we wake up in the arms of Christ. So I want to start, as your outline says this morning, by looking at the arrival of great joy And so look at joy in the context of the birth of Christ. So let me read with us, if you would, Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The first thing I want you to notice from that passage is do a quick flyby 
is that the birth of the Lord Jesus is not an event that causes joy. It is not an event that causes joy. It is an event that causes what? What did the text say? What did it say? Great joy. I think we've all experienced joy or what I would call normal joy, whether it be in some great food, right? I love food. Oh, so good and grunt. And my wife feels good. The creation around us, I love the outdoors. These emotional surges of delight, like in the birth of a child. But Dr. Luke is telling us this, the Christmas story, the birth of Christ is no normal joy. At the arrival of Christ, the angels declare, I bring you good news of great joy. Matthew 2.10, even the pagan astrologers who traveled a long ways by the star at night to find the Lord Jesus. And when they found him, they said they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Something has changed with the arrival of the Lord Jesus because somewhere, somehow, his presence brings great joy. Now, the Bible uses, I did some study this week, uses the word joy just by itself over 200 times in the English translation. But I noticed that the words great joy is used in single digits, just a handful of times. Let me give you some examples. 1 Kings 140, after the anointing of David's son as king, something big was happening. 2 Chronicles 30, 26, in the restoring of the Passover, after 40 years of it being absent. Nehemiah 12, 43, when they dedicated the rebuilt walls of Jerusalem. Matthew 28, 8, at the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus himself. And great joy was used in Acts 15, 3, at the inclusion for the first time in the history of the world. In a grand way, the Gentiles in God's new covenant. So what the scripture is telling us, that joy, there's a lot of joy, but they're just, great joy is rare. It's in some ways climactic. It is saved for the most glorious of all gloriful moments. And the birth of the Lord Jesus is one of those moments. Luke 2, 13 through 14, you probably noticed, says the angels that declared that great joy that had arrived in the Lord Jesus, they weren't alone, the text says. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. So from the host of heaven to down to the earth, they were all experiencing great joy. From lowly shepherds to the host of heaven, great joy. Now I want you to take note here too, great joy in the reality and beauty of the Lord Jesus, what did it prompt all who were there for his arrival to do? It prompted great worship, both in heaven and on earth. Luke 2.20, it says, The shepherds returned praising God for all they had seen and heard. Matthew 2.11 said, The magi fell down and worshiped Jesus. So these general truths around the arrival of the Lord Jesus that produce great joy, I think prompts us to ask this next question. Jeff, what is then Christian joy? 
That's our second point. Here's how John Piper defines it, and I love this definition. He says, it is a good feeling in the soul produced, very key, by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word, in the world, and in our lives. Piper is saying it's an emotion or feeling that... And we know, here's what we know about emotions of feeling, none of us can produce that. None of us can just say, I'm going to feel that. Oh, we can fake it till we make it, but that didn't really work out well. We can't feel, we can't control what we feel. We just what? Feel what we feel. We can't produce Christian joy on our own. It's, it's naturally. The text or his definition, I think the scriptures Confirm this. It is produced supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. It is one of nine fruits of the Holy Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. So the Holy Spirit does not do this supernatural work in some magical or out of thin air kind of way. It is supernatural, but it's not out of thin air. He does it by doing a work in us by causing us to see the glory and the beauty of the Lord Jesus in every circumstance that we may find ourselves in. To see the beauty and glory of the Lord Jesus in the midst of the deepest pain and the sorrow of all sorrows. Listen to Paul's word in Philippians 3.1. His command, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I think a normal question after that is this. How do you rejoice in the Lord if you don't know anything about the Lord? <laughs> the more you know about the Lord, maybe we could say on a positive side, the more you can rejoice what? In the Lord. This is why if you and I are not reading and meditating and understanding the God of scriptures, the Holy Spirit has very little or nothing to work with. And therefore, you will not see the beauty and glory of the Lord Jesus. And therefore, there will not be any Christian joy. So, if we don't see the beauty of the Lord Jesus in his word, we will fail miserably at seeing him in the world and in our lives. And that's where we go to really, really bad places. So, I thought this morning I would take a few minutes to look at Christian joy in his word. And to do that, I thought, where should I go? Immediately, I thought of the book of Philippians. This theme is joy. Paul is writing the book of Philippians from prison, and his theme is joy. If I'm in prison, my theme is give me some real food, you know what I mean? Paul and I are just a tad different. I love how this book could be summarized. I put this quote at the top. Here's how you could summarize the whole book of Philippians. Never settle for a God who cannot bring your heart joy while you are in a prison cell. That's what our God can do. And that's what God was doing for Paul as he wrote the book of Philippians. Paul's joy is strong enough for the realities of all of life 
And it is possible not only for him, but for every one of us. Paul's not a super Christian. It's the same spirit that lives in him that we do. Listen to his words in Philippians 4.4. Again, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, if you're like me, that word always can haunt you (laughs) or it can bring you great hope. The word always can haunt us because if I'm honest and you're honest, our joy is more often than not connected to how life is going for us, how well life seems to be going around us, and we find that joy is fleeting. So when we see the word always, we think, that's not my experience. But it also can give us great hope. And how does it give us great hope? Philippians 1, 20, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 tells us where Paul's joy was anchored. Kevin mentioned the word anchored this morning. We did not get together on that word. I thought we better listen. Here it is. Here's what he says, Philippians 1, 20 through 21. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now and as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying, I can have joy in life or death because the very worst thing that could happen to me will ultimately bring me what? Joy. Paul is saying, knowing Christ has made even death or made uh Knowing Christ has even made a friend out of death. Here's what we know about the Apostle Paul's life. 2 Corinthians 11 sort of gives us a bio of all he went through. It says, his enemies and Satan threw the kitchen sink in him. They beat him with rods. They stoned and left him for dead three times. They shipwrecked. He was shipwrecked and stranded, attacked by robbers, left without food and shelter and suffering from danger everywhere. And yet he rejoiced. Few have suffered like Paul and very few have suffered while experiencing more joy than the apostle Paul. For Paul or for us to have joy in suffering We have to want Jesus more than anything else. And the more we want Jesus more than anything else, the more joy we will experience. Jesus is our supreme treasure over everything. Remember the book of Hebrews? We've been saying, the writer's been telling us, he's better. He wants to be supreme. Paul had found joy, this normal, worldly, fleeting joy. Paul had experienced that at a very high level in his world. In the glory of man, he experienced fleeting joy in the success and popularity of being a great Jewish religious leader. Remember, he was called the what? The Hebrew of Hebrews, number one cat. The Pharisee of all Pharisees. He's the best Pharisee in the land. The most zealous for their cause, the most righteous of all religious leaders of their day, and the most recognized, Paul was a high-level, powerful, 
popular man in his world. Philippians 3 tells us that. But he also tells us when he came to faith in Christ, he actually yielded or surrendered that kind of life, the kind of life that you and I have dreamed of, the kind of life that others would dream of. One writer said he surrendered a life for more joy, not less. And this is how he put it in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul is telling us that Jesus Christ became his supreme treasure, that the pearl of great price in the parable in the New Testament and all of the treasures and pearls faded in their ability to bring him joy, that his love in some ways for worldly success, reputation, attention for himself withered, withered away to make room for this new and fresh and powerful source of joy. Listen to what he says in Philippians 1.23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul can say that because he knows Christ, that Christian joy he experiences here is just a sliver of what he will experience there in heaven. Nancy Moss puts it this way. When we have little and have lost much, Christ comes and reveals himself as far more valuable than what we have lost. And when we have an abundance, Christ comes and shows that he is far superior to all that we have. For you and I to live out that quote, to understand what Paul is writing in Philippians, in some ways it takes a lifetime. It takes intentionality. It takes faithfulness. It takes a long obedience in the same direction because we learn slowly. But every time we learn, our joy increases. You won't get that <laughs> by being just a cool, cultural, chill dog Christian. Write that in your notes, chill dog. <laughs> this is seeing the beauty of Christ in the word, which allows us to see the beauty of Christ in the world and in our lives. So when the world and flesh and devil, when they all huddled together to come and rob us of our joy, because it's not a question of if they will, but when they will. We remember Paul's words in Philippians 4, 5. The Lord is at hand. See, you and I must learn joy by first learning that my great joy is dependent upon my satisfaction in Christ, no matter my circumstances. Paul 4, 11 says, I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be what? Content, satisfied, full of joy. And I think in my next closing points, we'll see why. Because what I want to do this morning, my heart was to really help myself 
I want to be full of joy, not a joyless Christian. And in doing so, I really want to help you. So I thought of some very practical, very practical ways in which you and I can fight for joy. Man, I hope these help. The first one is realize that the battle is primarily a fight to see who God is. If that is unclear, if that is cloudy, if that is foggy, you will not experience Christian joy. Man, Christianity and Christian joy, I want you to know they do not come, Monty used the word dutiful or duty. They do not come from dutiful rules. It is about knowing a God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2. It is God in Christ is the one who makes known to us, Psalms 116, the path of life or the path of joy. And in his presence, we experience fullness of joy. It is getting to know the Lord Jesus in this intimate way through his scripture and prayer and through the body of Christ. And we understand in doing so that he is perfectly good in all his ways. No one probably in this room will suffer like the apostle Paul has suffered. And if he can experience joy, we can. It is knowing that God is, certainly he loves you, but even more than that, he is for you. And this leads to my second point and where I want to spend the majority of my time because I think this is so crucial in understanding and experiencing Christian joy. Second point is trust in the providence of God. God is not in heaven detached, checking on you once in a while, cheering you on, while having no control what happens to you or me here on earth. This is our Father's world, and the affairs of men and nations are in his hands, the scriptures tell us. We love celebrating God with us at Christmas, Emmanuel. But there is great joy in knowing also, as I mentioned before, that God is for us. And this is what this term providence means. And I'm going to unpack that as we go. At the end of Romans 8, Paul says this. He says, if God is for us, translated, since God is for us, since God is for us, Paul asks a rhetorical question, who can be against us? And then in Romans 8, he basically goes through and says, nothing, nothing. Not death, not life, not persecution, not suffering. This word providence comes from the root word provision. It means to see what is needed before you need it and then to provide all that you need for it according to his good pleasure and wisdom. And the key part is not according to your good pleasure and wisdom, not according to my good pleasure and wisdom, because I got the specific ways. I don't know about how your mind works, but I have specific ways that when there's a problem, exactly how I want it to work out. Anybody else with me? And, and, and guess what? God is not like me. 
But if you don't, don't see him clearly, you will question his heart for you. It's according to his good pleasure and wisdom. He sees what we need, and then he acts on our behalf. Now, let me give you an example, okay? If you are walking down the street one day, and you happen to run into God, and you said, hello, God. And I'm assuming God has a deep voice. He said, hello there. How are you? And you say, God, I have problem, blah, 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 and I need help. Providence would mean God would look at you and say, I'll see to it. I'll see to it. I'll see to it to take care of it in a way that is both best for you and best for my glory. If we could operate like that, we would walk away from that conversation and not worry about a thing. I'll see to it. This word providence, first time it's used in the Bible is Genesis 22. In the narrative of Abraham and Isaac, where Abe was taking Isaac up to the mountain, remember that, to offer up his own son as a sacrifice, as a foreshadowing of God offering up his son to forgive us of our sins. And as Abraham prepared to obey God by killing his own son, Isaac asked Abraham, Dad, I see the firewood, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide, or God will see to it, there it is, to provide for himself a lamb. And God did see to it. Isaiah 50 through 10, example of providence. Isaiah 53 10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The death of Jesus was an appointment or providential sovereign, comes from the providential sovereign hand of God. There's providence. Do we ever say, Lord, why did you kill your son? I can't believe you did that. No. God's providence. Psalm 16, 5. It is you who holds my lot. Do you really believe that it is God who holds your lot? Is it God who holds your life in his hands? That what happens comes from God. God decides it. God rules over it. God is in charge. I don't know about you, but that truth brings me great joy in the times that I'm thinking in a sane mind. But if I don't see that picture of God clearly when I'm sane and the, the bomb blows up in my life, could, that happens, I won't see it then. It will, it, it, I can't see it. I got to see it before the bomb blows up. He is using all this to conform us into his image and to fulfill his purposes both in my life and in the world. Remember Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, just a handful of weeks ago, where it says he upholds all things, including every aspect of our lives. Acts 17, in him we live and we move and have our being. That's providence. How about the whole book of Ruth? I thought I'd read that book this morning. Open, no, I'm just kidding. 
I want to summarize. I found a quote by D.A. Carson that summarized the whole book, Providence. Taken as a whole, the story of Ruth was written to give us encouragement that all the perplexing turns in our lives are going somewhere good. They do not lead off the cliff and all the setbacks and pain in our lives as believers. God is plotting for our joy and satisfaction in him. So we got to ask the question. When the pain comes and the joy is hard to find, oh, Lord Jesus, what are you doing in me? What do you want me to see about you? What changes need to be made in my life to make you more satisfying? Here's the Belgic Confession. The Belgic Confession was one of many confessions. It was in the 17th century, and it was a lot of writing about the doctrines of God. And one of those doctrines was the doctrine of providence. And here, I love how they describe it. The doctrine of providence affords us unspeakable consolation, joy, since we are taught thereby that nothing can befall us by chance, but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father, who watches over us with paternal care, keeping us so under his power that not a hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor a sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father in whom we do entirely trust. Being persuaded that he so restrains the devil and all of our enemies that without his will and permission they cannot hurt us. And therefore we reject the damnable, damnable error of those who say that God leaves all things to chance. Every theologian that I read this week on providence said one of the greatest applications and implications in our lives was joy. When we see God clearly in his providential hand. He is writing our stories. He is for us. He is in control. He cares for us cares for us more than we care for ourselves. What great joy that brings. We'll wrap up with a few more. One is personalize your Bible reading. Joy is a person. Joy is Jesus. It's just not, it's just not dry ink on a page. You're, you are interacting when you open that word with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Make it very personal. Learn to fight like a justified sinner. Come to the scriptures in God as already have been accepted in Christ, secure in Christ, because you are. What a different approach. Spend quality time with others who are fighting for great Christian joy. I, don't, I can't even put into words how much that will help you keep your head above water and experience great Christian joy. And then number six, resolve to attack all known sin in your life. No secrets. I need help. Be surprised how your heart will be lifted. Let me give you a so what here. I want to reread the definition of Christian joy. Piper's 
definition. The Holy Spirit causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word, in the world, and in our lives. And this week, as I was sort of finishing up last night, putting some finishing touches, I remember this great hymn, many of you may be familiar with, called God Works in Mysterious Ways. How many of you are familiar with that hymn? Some of the older people nodding their head. Young people are like, what are you talking about, right? Here's a, here's a phrase from that hymn. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Behind a frowning providence, meaning the pain of life, the things we go through, I cannot see his smiling face that he is for us and with us and is working on our behalf. The author of that hymn I thought was interesting was a very good friend of John Newton. His name, last name was Cowper, C-O-W-P-R. Cowper was shy. He was filled with so much anxiety at one point because he had to speak in public. There's some of you here that feel that way, <laughs> that he attempted suicide. He became good friends with John Newton. That's fighting for joy, being connected to others. John Newton being the author of Amazing Grace. And in his fight for joy, Cowper wrote the great hymn, God Works in Mysterious Ways. He dug into the providential care of God for him, and it brought him great joy. And in doing so, that hymn has brought many of us great comfort and joy. So I want to ask you this morning to ask yourself the question, so what? And I would say to pick one of those, uh, one of those how to fight for great joy and circle one and think, where do I need to do the work? And then I want you to ask yourself a second question. Where am I not seeing the beauty of the Lord Jesus? That I'm not seeing God clearly. That somehow I'm putting something onto God that is not true of God. Ask the question, so what, with those two implications. Take a minute to do that.
Stand with me this morning, if you would. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning, and uh, I know, (laughs) silly me, I know I have had dreams about how I wanted my life to go and things I really wanted, and they didn't happen. And I have questioned your kindness and your goodness to me. So I confess publicly, I am so grateful that at 58, Lord, I'll look back and, and you said no and you directed in different ways and you brought things into my life or allowed things into my life that were very painful that made me draw near to you and receive the mercy and the help that I needed. That your providential care of me has been absolutely astounding. For that, my heart is joyful. I want to grow in that, and I pray for this body, Lord, that we'd be a people that often, not faking it, but because of the things that we believe about you, it would come out of us. The Spirit of God would would make our hearts rise up with great joy because of what you say about us, because what if you done do in us, because of who you say we are and who you are, and knowing that... Lord, I can lay my head down the pillow. We can lay our heads down our pillow at night and sleep well because you do not sleep. I pray you do a great work in this church for Christian joy because of who you are and how we trust in that. We love you. We are grateful for this morning. Thank you for your word. Pray your spirit will move in profound and powerful ways. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.